Psychologically tall. I'm talking about ethics. You you patented it, then packaged it, slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now sell it. You want to sell it well for the same. <laughs> I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. They'll soon be back and in greater numbers. Any friend of Olive's is a friend of our daughter. I am really close on this one. Really, really close. Let's watch my favorite part again. Shall we? Hey, I'm Amanda. And I'm Daniel. And you're listening to Scenes from a Marriage, a podcast where we as a married couple watch movies together and talk about them. We sure do. Thanks for coming back. Last week, we talked about Citizen Kane, one of the greatest movies of all time. And debatable. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, debatable. Well, in, <laughs> in, indeed, we uh, maybe disagreed a little bit on the the outcome there on, the, on our rating. You'll have to go back and listen no, to the episode right. for that <laughs> drama. But we did, in that episode, talk about what we had planned to do next, and we're nothing if not people of our word. Amanda, this is one that you've been talking about for a while. Every time it comes up, you're surprised that I haven't seen it. Right. Yeah. Oh, do you want me to say what it is? Except everybody already knows, because when you're listening to this, you know that it's The Music Man. The Music Man, indeed, from... 1962. Mm, yes. Folks, listen. May I have your attention, please? Attention, please. I can handle your troubled friend. Now you know I can. Oh, yes, I can. Please observe me if you will. I'm Professor Harold Hill, and I'm speaking of a big fat picture, The Music Man. I say Broadway's biggest long-run hit is coming right here to your screen. Yes, Professor Harold Hill's on hand. Now for a peek at the music, man. Not a big peek, just a little peek at the wonders that await you in Technicolor. Are you out there? And you, and you. Directed by Morton DaCosta and starring Robert Preston as Professor Harold Hill, Shirley Jones as Marion Peru, and Buddy Hackett as Marcellus Washburn. And the only name that I was familiar with in this cast, Ron Howard, billed here as Ronnie Howard as Winthrop, Winthrop. the little boy. Sister, sister, this is the most solid gold thing I've ever... <laughs> I it's a pretty good impression. It. Thank you. Thank you. This is one of those big movie musicals that Hollywood was doing in the mid to late 60s or early 60s, actually. We are uh, at this point here. And, I, and when I think of the movies from this era, well, first of all, I think of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because that's one of the ones right. that you and I watched. Which Daniel had not seen until I forced him to watch it. I'm still shocked that you didn't see it. Did you say your family watched it? They did. They watched you? it without me. I don't remember what I was doing, but shame. You thought you got out of a good one, but actually, you missed out. Did you end up liking that? I can't remember. Yeah, I ended up enjoying that. Such a good one. So good. That strikes me as similar in some ways to this because it's a really kind of lavish production. It's a long movie. 
It's very kid friendly and has kid major characters. Like it's a movie you can watch as a family, you know? Right. Yes. Uh, and of course, but, there's other things that you notice as you get older. True. And we'll probably talk about some of those yes. with this film, mm-hmm. but it, that it, it's in the cinemascope. It's in a really wide format which was something that was also really popular at the time because movies were trying to compete with television. And one of the things that they wanted to do was, you know, okay, well, we have this really big wide frame that you can't get that on your little set at home. Sets were obviously not what they are today. Right. And so that was another thing that was trying to draw people to the to the movies. So you have these just, again, the, these kind of giant productions, indulgent, some would say, but we're talking about things like Gigi, like West Side Story, like The Sound of Music, all of those are kind of in this vein, I feel like. And so this was, as I mentioned, directed by Morton DaCosta, not a name that I would recognize. He's only directed to three features, came out of the theater, and indeed, The Music Man is based on a stage play by the same name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the writer, Meredith Wilson, from what I understand, I've never seen the play. The movie is quite similar and keeps most of the songs and dialogue intact from that. I'm only familiar with it because I was in the play. <laughs> okay, I guess we'll, we'll go there. So I I'm was sorry, before. Sorry. I know. Well, that was. I mean, my my first question really was going to be as we as we kind of get into the discussion. Why was this a you know a, a key movie for you? So tell us your background with it. All right. So when I was in fifth grade at Wendell Elementary School, I was in. I was actually in two plays. I was in Kids, which I feel like. It was a play. I don't, I feel like we took some different things from like Bye Bye Birdie and other things. But then I was also in The Music Man because I think we did two plays uh, each year. And so, um, yeah, I was in this one and it was a lot of fun. This is middle school. Nope. Fifth grade. Elementary school. Yep. So our drama teacher was Rob Jenkins. I remember our dance teacher was Nikki Coates throwing those names out there. I wonder what they're doing now. Um, But Probably listening to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Um, but yeah, I was uh, I was a pick a little lady for anybody who has actually seen the movie. I don't think we had, I don't know if I had a name. I don't know. I was just one of the pick little ladies. Which for those who have not seen it might need to have that broken down for them. I did before we watched it. Okay. The pick little ladies are a group of ladies who are basically the gossips of town. Um, and... It was, uh, it consisted of the mayor's wife, <laughs> um, Yuli McKechnie Shin, uh, Ethel Toffelmeyer, which was Marcellus's girl. Oh, you know all the names. I, yeah, I remember them. Um, and also because we just watched the movie last night. So there's that. But I don't know. The other ones aren't notable. I remember my friend Laura Smith was Marion. And then Jonathan Barnsmith was, uh, Harold Hill, and then other people for other things. Now, did you do a lot of theater while you were in school? No. Is this something that you cared deeply about? Or? Well, no, I, I feel like, okay, so I don't know what it was like at your schools. I know that you were homeschooled for a little bit. Yes, and <sighs> I, when I was in high school, we had basically no arts at all, so I didn't have a chance to do... Because you only had a few people in your school. Right, I only did like church Christmas plays and such. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, at Window Elementary, I remember we were known for putting on really good plays. So we had like uh, Carver Elementary and I don't know who else like come over and they would see our plays. 
But I don't know if I just remember this as a small child thinking that it was really amazing or if it actually was. I'd have to inquire uh, (laughs) with my parents to see if it actually was good. What, in terms of the production? Yeah, I just feel like it was really great. It was so much fun, though, because, yeah, it's like if you (laughs) if you were popular, that's what you did. Like you were in the play. Isn't (laughs) that weird? It is kind of funny. Gosh, or like in the band, like in middle school, it's like. We weren't band geeks. It's like the popular kids were in band. So not marching band or yes, marching. No, band. we didn't have a marching yeah. band. It was just band. Like I just remember a lot of my friends were, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd say I was in the popular crowd, but like I, I knew a lot of people, but yeah. So you were a pick a little lady. Did you, were you also in the chorus? Like, did you sing a lot of the songs throughout the musical? Yeah. I mean, if you were in the play, you had to, you were singing the big numbers. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I never had a solo part, but uh, you did have to try out for the plays. So of course I tried out for it and I got in it, but um, I was, I was shy, but I really liked being in, you know, the big production because it was just like a family. Like I've never experienced anything like it. Um, And I mean, I still remember it to this day and like getting to wear the costumes and um, oh, it's a fun experience. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of practice. You know, you you get to know the people that you work with a lot. And then behind the scenes is fun. It's like, ooh, you know, waiting for your part. Yeah. You know, I, I know. I know. Man, that was so much fun. That's cool that you got to do that at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm I am curious how you haven't have you did you hear of the music man or like mostly when you or somebody else said the music man, because it's not something that was really on my radar and in, in a big way. Huh. I guess I just figured. But this is also really not my genre. But you were in like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which is a musical. I I was in a couple of musicals in college, which I really enjoyed for a lot of the same reasons that you just kind of laid out. But the the big 60s musicals, the, the Technicolor, like it, it's never really something that's appealed to me very much. I much prefer the eras both before and after it, like the the black and white movies of the 50s and the new Hollywood movies of the 70s feel more interesting and more personal to me. These are big spectacle movies in mm. a way that is, I think, a lot of times not all that interesting from a cinematic point of view, but we can get into whether or not that is you know, different in this case or you know, how we kind of evaluate those things. But yeah, there's a lot of those that, I mean, if I had not been in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, I probably never would have watched the movie. We watched it as a cast in the green room. Oh, okay. And like during the production, but that was, that was the only time I'd ever seen it. So this is not something that I would have typically sought out on my own. Well, that, I mean, thinking about it, that makes sense now. Like, I don't think that you would have enjoyed this movie. I mean, I guess we'll see what you thought about it. Um, but what did you expect before watching this movie? Any thoughts? Uh, I, well, I, I think, you know, again, just comparing it to the kind of most recent something in this vein that we did, which was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I was, you know, thinking that you're going to have kind of spirited, fanciful musical numbers and you're going to have some choreography to go along with mm-hmm. that. And But I really didn't know what the adjoining plot was going to be that kind of connected everything together. I honestly had no idea. I definitely didn't think that the titular music man would not be a music 
man. So right. let's, let's 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 talk about this just kind of as on a high level what what we're talking about here. So okay. the uh, so the Music Man is the story of quote unquote Professor Hill, yep. Harold Hill, Harold Hill, who is not a professor. He is a con man, mm-hmm. and he goes from town to town running grifts and schemes, and then you know takes his money and and runs. And he in this has concocted the most cockamamie, most difficult, most unlikely, and seemingly low reward, high risk scheme to come into a town, drum up controversy so that he can start a boy's band, have (laughs) all the town people order instruments and uniforms for their kids, pretend to have a band for four weeks, then take the money and split. I don't know how this works. I don't know how he tends to make a profit on this. I don't. I I never understand that. Like how? What? I feel like there are easier ways to make a buck. Yeah, there are. Also, I mean, are they paying him for the uniforms? Where is he getting the uniforms? Right, because he's got to have some overhead. Right. Is is it really is the crime that he is just charging way too much for uniforms? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, so, and so he comes into town, and it's Iowa. And everybody Iowa. in Iowa is kind of stubborn. Stubborn, stubborn Iowans stuck in their ways. They don't want to have any fun. And he immediately runs into his old pal Marcellus, Marcellus. played by Buddy Hackett, mm-hmm. who kind of assists him in getting the scheme rolling. And he also runs afoul of the local librarian, who uh, played by Shirley Jones. Uh, Marion is her name. Mm-hmm. She's the only one who immediately sees through him and resists his constant advances. So over the course of the movie, he tries to perpetuate the scheme and get out of town. But naturally, he also begins to fall for uh, for Marion. And we have to see what his... Oh, oh and then she's she's got a... a is it a son? A, a little brother? It sounds okay, like a, a so, little brother. Okay, yeah. That's I wanted to ask you about... Or did you want to continue to explain? This is Daniel Explains the Plot. No, no, I'm, I'm giving the, oh. I'm giving the, the broad, that's all I'm going to say. That's, that's the broad, uh, the broad strokes. Um, oh, you can well, get no. into the, to the details, but. Oh gosh. Okay. The, what her. Well, okay. So. Who is Winthrop? Is so he, Winthrop is her younger brother. And I was going to ask what, what do you think the age difference is on that? Cause I've always, when I've watched it, I was like, seriously, how, like what's the age difference? What she, what do we think? 16, 18 years, something like that. She's, I do think we think she's that she's 26? Cause he said, is that what she says? Well, he said, you've, uh, something about 26 years. Like you've looked 26 years. I don't know. I've missed out on this for 26 years. Something like that. Right. And we I was assume like, she's mid to late twenties. Yeah. And he looks like he's about eight. Yeah. So that's a pretty big difference. That's a big difference. How do you, how old do you think her mom is? Uh, yeah. Anyway, I was just like, what a what an age difference. But anyway. but I mean, she could be in her late forties potentially. That's true. Yeah. That's that age difference is the same as kind of between my grandmother and my great aunt. They were like eighteen years apart. I guess it's it's not that far fetched because I mean I know people who have siblings who are like fifteen plus years older than them. So. But he is her son. She's they got the red hair and everything. She's right. Irish. No, she's Irish. That, that's what. Yeah. And by, when, it hurt, when I say her, I mean Mrs. Peru, played by Pert Kelton, mm-hmm. who, and I, I should maybe mention, I think her and Robert Preston as the lead are the, I think they're the only two 
players who came to this from the Broadway production. So Preston played the lead in the play. And I think oh, I didn't realize I think she was also. Kelton did as well, played her part. So he comes to this as a as a veteran, having done hundreds of performances. And then of course everybody else is, you know, they've subbed in like movie actors, I guess. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So maybe I should ask, since I did a little bit of plot explaining, but it's just kind of high level. If it is, if it's the same thing to say, what was the plot or what did you like about the movie? I mean, kind of, I kind of talk us through. You want me to tell you? I mean, you you already explained the plot. That's what I would have said. I'm probably more experienced in knowing it since I had to actually be in it. Well, in that case, if, if what we could do, maybe just walk through and talk about kind of how the movie unfolds. Yeah. Because I think there's interesting things to kind of call out as we I, go. I'm, I'm interested in what you thought about the musical numbers about a lot of them. Okay, so let's start off. So it starts off on a train. I want to let's rewind. I want to okay. start before that. It starts out with a stop motion opening sequence. Oh, yes. yes. I think it's kind of interesting. I do, I do like that. They lay out the, what, toy soldiers or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and move them in, you know, individual stills. <laughs> you thought it was like drumline? It reminded <laughs> me of drumline. Because, well, only because they do the right. the shapes on the field. Mm-hmm. I thought this is one of your movies because that's... <laughs> because of the formations on the field. <laughs> that's a common theme in these Amanda movies. Only two. <laughs> do they not do it in... Like Pitch Perfect or anything like that? Well, they didn't like spell out 2000 or anything. Okay, fine. That's anyway, fine. the dance. So then, I, so then we it. go to the opening number, which is on the train. Right, on the train. It's a bunch of salesmen on the train, and it's the first musical number. Uh, and it's actually, I don't remember what the name of the song is called, but it's where they, it might be called, but he doesn't know the territory. I don't think it is because... What do you talk? What do you talk? I should know the name of it, but I do remember. And for all of these musical numbers, I remember. I don't exactly remember. Rock Island is the title of the track. Rock Island. Okay. I wouldn't have known that. I just remember all the prep work in the plays. Like watching this movie just brought me back to fifth grade. And I mean, in fifth grade, I knew all of the musical numbers. Like we, everybody knew them. So you were like, but you were like, even if you weren't in it, because it was mostly guys in it. Well, I think we probably had some women that were, you know, dressed up as businessmen. Um, kind but, of the opposite of Shakespeare. Yeah, because, you know, there's probably more women trying out for plays than guys. But what did you think of that musical number and how, like, the rhythm of their speech matches the rhythm of the music? And the track, yeah. like, all, I don't even, what what even is that word? No, that's very interesting. I thought it was, uh, I thought that was, a, that was maybe... The most interesting aspect of the soundtrack of the entire film because it's not the only it's not the only one yeah one that does that. But yes, the the train scene is the first one. There's also the one with the chickens. The pickle is really they're yep. they're imitating the barnyard the chickens, chickens mm-hmm. and there's there's others as well. The mother the mother and daughter with Amaryllis oh, playing, she's playing the piano. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I think so like there's twice, a lot of yeah. there's a lot of what we would call diegetic sound in the reality of the scene Mm -hmm. and the music numbers are matching up to that or mimicking it in some way. Mm -hmm. And so that actually is a really fascinating choice. And I think it's something, especially that rock Island one that begins in their body. Like, I mean, they were physically like kind of chugging with their shoulders, you know, 
it's not something that I would have expected to see and hear at that time. Mm-hmm. In fact, it really seems like something that you would expect to see more now, now that hip hop and the various genres around that are becoming more of an influence with things like Hamilton, where you're, you're right. now seeing, mm-hmm. and now it's kind of becoming you know, more common to see those types of, of sounds and those types of rhythms, those types of approaches, whereas it's not the traditional kind of musical sweeping thing that you would expect. So I found that to be very fresh and very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and also quite, I would say, difficult to perform. There's oh, yeah. A lot I can imagine. of very kind of quick. Very, yeah, very quick. Lyrics. So quick that we can't even catch what they're saying um, during the musical number. I mean, I don't know if you could, but I caught, I caught most of it, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that was a that was a really interesting way to start the movie. It kind of really goes off, uh, starts it off with a bang. And what about when he reveals his suitcase? Did you know which one was Harold Hill no. before he Mm-mm. see? I know, I know, he was on the train. That's a lot of fun, and I remember in the play, like they they mimic that, and they had him turn around the suitcase that said that, uh-huh. and I just thought that was a really cool way to start the movie, the play, because I mean, I didn't know which one he was watching it for the first time, but yeah. And hearing them whine about how he doesn't know the territory. So he's not a good Mm -hmm. salesperson. No, that, that is a really, that's a really fun number. It's very original Mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it gives you, it gives you high hopes for where the movie's going to go. Right. So then he enters into river city, Iowa. Um, and then he meets Iowans that are stubborn um, did you, were you writing down any of the, the comments? Cause I, I saw you write something down. I, I wasn't, I, was I wrote down, well, I was, I think when we started that, I was still writing my notes from the train scene. Okay. I was writing about how the, it's a great character intro for Hill. And I was mm-hmm. writing about how there's kind of bad green screen. Cause you, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, outside yeah. the train's going by yeah. and you can tell it's all just matted blue screen. Yeah. Anyway, no. And, and then next thing, my next note is that, is that he's a stalker, but we haven't got there yet. Go on. How is he? I mean, he is, but well, the the moment he sees Marion, oh, he like follows her home, and it's you know, oh yeah, it's very kind of a super creep about very that. creepy. He um, let's see. So what's the next? The next musical number is Iowa Stubborn. Okay. Um. So that's when we learn that the Iowans are stubborn. Um. That one was a fun. That was a fun musical number to do. Did you think they did a good job? kind of introducing this is a tough town for him to crack. Sure. Yeah. From a story perspective, that's, it works just fine. They, there's a lot of the songs in the front that are, you know, that are still kind of introducing you to all the major players and all the major conflicts. You get that at least up through good night, my someone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah, that's a fine, that's a fine kind of just intro song, you know, like bell or whatever. Right. So he needs to create a way. What? Prim is doing crazy things. We always have to give her a shout out. She wants to play some video games. <laughs> okay. So then Harold Hill needs to create a way to uh, what get his in to sell, sell his boys band. Yeah. He keeps getting shut down. The Iowans are not, the most welcoming. Mm-mm. He has to figure out a way in. And so he does this by basically becoming a soccer mom 
and yes, he does. capitalizing on moral panic <laughs> by finding out that the town has acquired a pool table. Right. So there's trouble in River City with a capital T and that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. Stands for pool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the song, but I only heard about, but that I that was that's another really good number. Oh, I love that. And one. Mm-hmm. very again, well performed by Preston, mm-hmm. who has a lot of lyrics to get through there. And uh yeah, he's performing that quite capably. I I really love the facial expressions from the <laughs> the uh River City Iowans and how Marcellus, did you notice that he was like pulling out a comic book from the back of the kid's pants or whatever. And just like, like he was in it the whole time. Yeah, the kid got in trouble for reading Captain Wiz or whatever. The yeah, guys, or like buttoning his knickerbockers below the knee. Um, <laughs> and stuff like that. That was a lot of fun. Should I ask? It reminds me of childhood. Buttoning your knickerbockers? No, when everything is like a gateway to some worse sin. And, you know, you... Oh, there's, you know, some little thing is like a, it's like a slippery slope to where, you know, the, mm-hmm. you've got a pool table now. Next thing you know, everybody's going to be, you know, they're going to be going in the whorehouse or whatever. <laughs> right, I know. And then, you know, pans over to the boys in the window when he was calling attention to that. But that was very convenient. He asks Marcellus to alert him when the piano teacher comes out, which is where we get to the part where his stocking comes in. Yeah, I'm not really sure they feel the why they feel the need to really wear out the finger piano. But I don't know. Did. It was just a thing. But yeah, yeah. Did. Then he just sees he seizes upon her and just try like follows her home. And this is not remotely the last time in the movie that he will be very aggressive towards her. Yeah, and she she does a good job turning him down. Which, she does. Yes, at least and at then least we'll, until the halfway point. Oh man, we'll get there anyway. So yeah, we're down, stalker, and then then we get to. The kind of intro of her family situation. She mm-hmm. goes home, and it's her and her mom and a piano lesson. Amelius, what's your name? Amaryllis. Amaryllis. Mm-hmm. I wrote that down with a question mark, just like I said. Amaryllis. <laughs> Amaryllis. So this little girl who's taking piano from her, and then we get another one of those songs where mm-hmm. every time she's plunking a key. Yes, I love I love that scene, especially when they correct her on the last key each time. Uh-huh. That's a lot of fun. And then when they go to the goodnight, my someone, and she does, did you like her whole, her bringing her arm over her head with the bing? The girl also looks really familiar. I wonder if I've seen that actress before. Mm-hmm. I need to look up and find out. Did you like that? Did you like those scenes or? I enjoyed that scene. I wasn't a fan of the song when they're both looking out at the moon oh, or yeah. whatever. That was very strange. I feel like, and Shirley Jones, if she's singing mm-hmm. the songs, is a great vocalist. Mm-hmm. She does an excellent job with all of her stuff. But her, her songs are really boring. They're so boring. Every time she gets a solo, it's just, yeah, it, it's kind of like, uh, skip forward, okay. Yeah, yeah, those are the ones I'm like, oh. Um, And also, you're probably confused because you didn't know if Amaryllis was Winthrop's sister. Right. I thought that when, and we should, maybe we should go back and watch it. I thought that when he came up, he said he was, she was his sister. But I very well could have misheard that. No, so Amaryllis was one of Marion's piano students, I assume. But then it's like, she is apparently in love with Winthrop, which, okay, this small child. But um, They can have crushes. They can have crushes too, but... But she's also last... 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 Laughing at his lisp, 
So this is where we find out that Winthrop, the little brother, has a lisp and he does not say more than three words yeah, a day. Yeah, he doesn't like to talk. Apparently. Uh, because he is aware of his uh, speech impediment. Poor thing. Um, so this is when we're like, oh, okay. So this is another way that Harold Hill can probably get in there. Right. This is very key. <laughs> very key. There are two more. Well, there's more than two, but there's at least two more major characters. The mayor of the town mm-hmm. and his mm-hmm. wife, Mayor Shin, played Healy by McKechnie Paul Shin. Ford. And then, yes, uh, the humorously named Eulalie McKechnie, McKechnie. Shin, mm-hmm. played by Hermione Jingold. Hermione? I guess. I don't know if that's pronounced correct. But I don't know, but I feel like she... I feel like she looks like a Hermione when you see that character. You see that person. But she confronts Marion, who is the librarian. (laughs) Oh, love that name for the librarian. Who is a little bit progressive and is letting the kids read classics that might contain things that aren't, you know, the Berenstain Bears. And so, (laughs) and so Eulalie is giving it to her for letting the kids read. Let's see. What is it? Balzac. Balzac. Cheap, <laughs> <laughs> cheap, 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 cheap. Repeated because of the inherent humor of that name. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> so that's when we're introduced to Mayor, Mayor's wife, uh, Eulalie McKechnie Shin. I can't yes. not say her full name. They say it every time, I think, They too. do say it every time. So we, you learn that the mayor is, mm, I don't know, kind of a halfwit, kind of, does he's not. It's not good with his words. He does not speak well, and he continually makes verbal flubs. Constantly, yes. So He, mis- he mispronounces Pompeii, mm-hmm. calls it, I, what, I don't know what it is, Pompeii or something. Pompeii. And, then, and um, he later says... Piano player. Player. Instead of... Yeah. Um, not a poop out of oh, you. Oh, a peep, yes. And yeah, so, yeah. So that, that's, that's funny, but maybe for only so long. And then... At some point, the professor takes over this assembly that is happening Mm -hmm. and pitches the boys band to everyone, which culminates in the big musical number, 76 trombones. 76 trombones led the the big big parade parade, while 110 cornets played the stage. Which is probably the best song in the musical. You think so? Well, I guess I'm maybe am I, maybe I'm showing my hand, but sorry, it's 110 cornets close at hand. It's been a while. It's been since elementary school. I do really like that. I do really I like that's that. That's the big centerpiece number. number. It it is. It's a lot of fun, especially uh, all the dancing. Huh? How how do you like the choreography compared to say Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? I found the choreography was only haltingly interesting and also they don't have as many numbers that really focus on the choreography right they have a lot of numbers that focus on the delivery of the the lyrics or Mm -hmm. and so that's as interesting as this conceit is where the music is related to the scene in some way like physically that they i feel like you don't have an emphasis on choreography and you don't really have an emphasis on melody Mm-mm. So both those make can make it a little bit hard to get into. I found the choreography 
almost surprising when it did happen because I was like, oh, all of a sudden they're doing a big scene with like flips and people coming in from the sides. So, and so much couple- leaping and so much flipping. Right, but they had that on that number. They had it on the library number. They had it on Shapoopy. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, those were like the big ones. Mm-hmm. So that's like that's like three songs out of a two and a half hour movie that really focus on the choreography. So it, it seemed like it was kind of downplayed to me a little bit. And there were not a lot of instances where I was either wowed by what was happening by something fit, like some kind of athletic feat or really struck by the ingenuity or the creativity of what was being done. So I, I wouldn't say that was a strong point for yeah, me. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was noticing this time around because I remembered that I really liked the movie. It was a lot of fun, but watching it this time I was like, wow, the musical numbers aren't uh that incredible. Like uh Chitty Chitty Bang Bang has a lot of really great ones. And like when he does the song with the old bamboo I don't know, just so much fun, all of those musical numbers. There's a, there's a couple of really striking numbers in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang that you kind of knock you back out in your seat, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's something that when I go to see a musical live, performed mm-hmm. live, you get, in the best of cases, that kind of awe and that translates into just kind of like, I don't know, you, you almost laughing at yourself because you're just having fun with it. You know, cause you're seeing these things all unfold in front of you. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit harder to capture that on a movie screen. And I don't think these are the kind of tricks that really elicit that reaction very much. Yeah. And so then we meet Tommy G. Occasionally you do Sorry. get Robert Preston doing his like subtle hip movements while he's like trying to get, you know, <laughs> he does do uh, that. Is that what you noticed? Going, I, I wrote that down. Subtle hip moves. Oh, sorry. When you, we were talking about the dancing, all I could think of was Tommy Gilas doing this. Like his, like he, it was very, very jerky, like movements from these boys jumping around. It was just, it was. And I, and I don't think any of the, I don't think any of the people performed it badly. No. Yeah. Everybody in this, in every scene is really into it. Like they're, they're given all they got. Their faces are plastered with a smile. They're energetic. <laughs> so the, the, the cast is doing what's asked of them. Uh, and, and doing it well, but it's just, I don't think the, yeah, the, the arrangement of that is really the strong point. So during this, I don't know, town meeting, would you call it a town meeting, town council meeting? I think yeah. that's what it was called. We are also introduced to the uh, school board council. Oh, right. That's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Members. Okay. And so we see, we start to see how Professor Harold Hill interacts with all of the townspeople individually or as a group and that he uh, he's very slick with his words. It's like uh, drips of honey. He's just complimenting everyone and he he's a con man. He can he can just win people over drips of honey. That's good. I like that. Yes. So he notices what the the pitch of each of their voices and then creates a little quartet with the board members. I don't know if I'm skipping ahead to. No, that's good. And that's, they're, they're credited as the, as the Buffalo Bills. So I guess that is an, an excellent quartet that they got to come and play that part. Yeah. What did you think about them? Oh, they were good. I mean, that, that was a, that was a good gag that he keeps getting them to sing instead of, you know, following up on his credentials. Yeah. 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 Did you think that they did that too much or it was just like the right amount? I didn't feel like it overstated its welcome. At some point, we get to Marion, which is the 
the big number in the library where he tries to, again, he's wooing her. And Marion was, I think, the worst song and the best choreography. Madam Librarian? Yes, Madam Librarian. Oh, I love that song. That's so sad. Well, let, let me I tell you. I think it's because it me, matches up with Let me it. tell you why. Here's okay. why. Okay. Because they keep doing this thing where he's like, Marion. Right? They keep doing the, the long note followed by the Rian yeah. over again. And it's so obnoxious that even they know it and they can't keep, they can't commit to to doing it every time. He does that note like twice and then they keep interrupting it and like making him do other things in between because they know that if they keep, if every time you do that, that hook, you're going to have to hear that sustained note and it's just annoying. So I thought the song was not enjoyable. But I did think that the choreography was some of the best in the movie. It was one of the only times that something that happened on screen made me go, oh, that was cool. Like when the guy had the book and he was like doing a flip when he hit with the book. Yeah. And then the spiral staircase in the middle of it. That was fun. The use of that. So you have a different take on this. What do you think about this? Okay. I, I really loved that song. And I think it's because of the dance number as well. But I don't know. I just think it's a lot of fun. And maybe also because they get stuck in my head more than the other songs, because that's all I can think of. Especially when I like meet somebody named Marion, then I'm <laughs> I just all I can do is start singing to them in my head. Or I mean, maybe it's not as catchy as like the '76 trombones. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I do have my like song Tourette's where I, if somebody <laughs> says starts to say something like '76, I can't I can't not sing that song until I forget the rest of the words. But anyway, yeah, I enjoyed it. I didn't know that you thought it was annoying. Yeah, no, I thought that was super annoying. Not as not as annoying as Ye Gods. Oh gosh. Man. Which is like every other line that comes out of that Actually, character's it was mouth. Ye gods. Wait, ye gods. Ye, ye, no, ye, ye gods, you're right. Yeah. Which I'm like, who and also the the lingo, like the Tommy Gilas, what does he say? Great honk. Great. Yeah. Great. He does. Does he say honk? I believe so. Great honk. That's weird. I've never heard that before, except for on this. It may be something that was changed from something slightly more offensive. You think so? Or was it great hog? No, I think it's honk. Huh. So we're getting, we're getting close to the, like maybe the halfway point. I don't want to go through the entire plot, but I wanted to ask you a couple of things. We, we've talked about these these songs in the, in the front. I know there's some more in the back, like the Shapoopy and some other things. Mm-hmm. Did you Do you have a favorite song and or a favorite number? Maybe you can highlight what really worked for you. I would say my favorite songs or just like musical numbers in general would either be Madam Librarian, you know, okay. the one that you hated. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hate all of it. I didn't like that uh, that long note, but go ahead. I do like that. Uh, oh, we got trouble, and That's then the Wells Fargo wagon. Oh yeah, we haven't got to that one yet. Yeah, no. that. So those three, I don't know. They're all kind of different. I mean, maybe oh, we got trouble and Wells Fargo wagon are a little bit similar in like the like peppiness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I liked, I liked the the dance, like the choreography for the Madam Librarian. Someone is trying to play fetch in here, and it's not wow, Daniel. She is. Wow. She just brought us a hair tie. Are you getting this? 
I don't know. I'm sorry, where were we? You were talking about your favorite song and number. Maybe Wells Fargo Wagon is my favorite song. I don't know. Anyway, what 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 are yours? I think the best songs for me, 76 Trombones, obviously. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I mean You Got Trouble mm-hmm. and maybe even the train song from the beginning, mm-hmm. the Rock Island. So for me, I feel like they really front loaded all their best material. And they did. I think after I came back from that bathroom break at 45 minutes, the movie <laughs> was, it felt like it lagged at that point. However, I, mm, the other number I enjoyed was Shapoopy. Yeah. That was a fun, that was a fun dance number because of the like aerial views mm-hmm. of the dresses. Did you notice they were pink and then they had red underneath? That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed. Yeah. And it was funny. Just like the, the song is funny. Also, apparently, and I learned this from reading Letterboxd reviews, a lot of people are familiar with this movie because of Family Guy and or The Simpsons. Really? Because one of the Family Guy episodes does the entire Shapoopy number. Like in the really? Middle of, yeah, like in the middle of a football game. I went and watched it on YouTube. You that, watched it on YouTube? Yeah, when did you watch that? that? Today. Uh, that Peter scores a touchdown and they're telling him not to do excessive celebration, but he does anyway. And it becomes the entire Shapoopy number from The Music Man. <laughs> did you like it? I mean, it's just, it's the musical number for, it's the movie. Did you, you know? like it better in, uh, in Family Guy or in? No, no, no. It's better than the Music Man. But okay. it, but it's, but <laughs> just it's, it's just funny that they do the whole thing. That know? is funny. McFarlane really likes the, and, and then there's, there's a scene in, in The Simpsons that's basically 76 trombones. So I thought that was funny. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do agree that they do just kind of give all the good stuff up front and then towards the end, it's, Basically, after Wells Fargo Wagon. Well, I do like Gary, Indiana. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That song. So there there are a few. And then the Ladder Rose, Will I Ever Tell You, kind of mash up. And that, that number, it's cool because when you see it and it's like the dark screen and it's a spotlight of Marion singing and then the quartet, it kind of reminds me, oh, this is a play. And then you think about all the sets that they would have had to come up with um, filming this. And I'm like, man, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. They do those lighting cues so that you, sometimes at the end of the scene, they fade it to where like, it's just the light on the performer and everything Mm -hmm. else goes black. And then, yeah. So, okay, let's, let's get down to brass tacks. Right. Talk to me. (laughs) Pun intended. Brass. Uh, Okay. Was that a stretch? (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me about the central relationship in the movie, Hill and Peru. Yeah, Marion. How does this work for you? I know it's a musical and everything's light and people are breaking into songs. It doesn't have to be super believable, but, you know, let's let's get into it. Okay, so what I'm going to say is I can't remember the last time I saw this movie before last night, but I remember enjoying it and thinking, oh, I think I liked their relationship. But watching it again, I'm like, no, no, girl, what are you doing? <laughs> you, like, you're doing a great job of turning him down. I understand mm-hmm. that. And you're wary of this stranger. Good for you. And then she, when does, oh, okay. So he wins her over because Winthrop says, you know, his first sentence in all of life um, because of getting a something from the Wells Fargo wagon. Up. He gets an instrument, a shiny gets his, wind instrument. The th- tiniest gold, whatever. Anyway, so, and then she's like, 
instantly smitten because, oh, you helped my brother say words. Yeah, and immediately hides the damning evidence that would have put him on the outs with the entire town. Yeah, so because she finds, you know, because he constantly says, uh, Gary Indiana, class of Ot 5, you know, conservatory, blah, blah, whatever. Right, recites his cover story, which he apparently did not research. Yeah, come on. If you're going to be a salesman, like be a, I'm sorry, a con man, then be a good one. Like do your research because they're going to research you. So yeah, I lost a lot of respect for her when she was just like, anything goes like you can do whatever you want. Like, come on. He was stealing people's money. Your mom's money. Like your Mm. mom paid too much for that dumb uniform. Come on. Yeah. Like $17. Yeah. $17. (laughs) Did he say he did? Did he say $17 in it? It's funny because I know it's, like the, the due to inflation, money was worth more. But it, again, this is another reason why it just doesn't seem like he could have made that much on this grift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So I, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like what was happening because I feel like she was being manipulated. And then the part where he's like, "Meet me at the footbridge in fifteen minutes," and mm-hmm. then she looks like she's being hypnotized, and which is very interesting because that is one of the only moments of subjectivity in the film Mm -hmm. we almost never get anything from any character's point of view but at that point we do and we see that how she's kind of uh well smitten i guess what you said she it looks like she's in a daze Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what did you think about their relationship i I read a review that was something like i can't edit marion's motivation into the movie implying that she has none she has the only the barest motivation and it all turns on Winthrop, which is one of the most successful things actually to me in the movie is Ronnie Howard as Winthrop. Mm-hmm. I think as child performances go, it's a pretty winning performance. He now, he's job. not, you know, going to win any Oscars or Tonys or whatever for his singing. But did you mean Oscars? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I think he's there's 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 something that's emotionally that works about that. Like when he kind of comes alive a little bit that you can like, if we, if we don't buy that, then we've got absolutely nothing to hang on in terms of her changing her mind about him. If right. It, Cause that, that's, that's literally the only thing we're given is, mm-hmm. Oh, little Winthrop is kind of, you know, he's kind of enjoying this being in a band thing. Mm-hmm. And which is, from Professor Hill's perspective, completely an accident. He didn't set out to enrich little Winthrop's life in any way. Nope. It just happened as a consequence of him, you know, kind of being on the receiving end of this. So yeah, there's there's almost no understandable motivation for her whatsoever, especially if you don't find Hill and Preston's particularly charismatic. Well, I mean, he's charismatic, but like not in a way that makes you trust him. Like he, like we know how slimy he is. And right. I think he kind of has that salesman thing mm-hmm. going on where mm-hmm. you always know that he's kind of trying to be one step ahead of you. So yeah, I found that, I found that unconvincing in almost every way, which again, made it more difficult when right before the kind of final act, you're trying to solidify this relationship. None of that really worked very well for me. I know it was like drawn out in the beginning, like the first half she hated him. No, I'm sorry. Maybe like the first three quarters she hated him. 
then the very end, it's like full 180. Oh, I love you. They both said, I love you. They spent like mm. zero time. So basically it's like the bachelor. I'm kidding. Um, yeah. No, but, and then do you remember when she was singing the song being in love? I wrote this down. Um, she was, her standards were pretty low. If he liked Shakespeare, I could love him until I die. Okay. Marion, that's a little dramatic. I did write down that line. I liked that. If he occasionally ponders what makes Shakespeare and Beethoven great. Yes. She said. I and I was like, well, you know what? That's good. I, I appreciate that about her. I feel like I could, I was, I was like doing the, the Groundhog Day thing. Like me, me also. <laughs> no, but she said I could love him until I die. I don't know. I was just like, okay, like that's all he really has to do. But I mean, she's a librarian, so I guess her, yeah. you know, her love is in the books. I mean, I guess, you know, in it's, well, it's all tied up in balls, Zach. Balls. But yeah, so that, that, for that reason, Ron Howard was MVP for me. I also wrote down Anvil's have a limited appeal. So that was funny. The Anvil <laughs> salesman comes by to try to discredit him to the town as well. Yes. That's, uh, that's really all I got from there. Mm-hmm. So they, they showed us in the film, okay, there's all these problems like, okay, there's this scandal, which we hadn't talked about with uh, Uncle Madison, which we didn't know was oh, right. her uncle, but it was actually her dead father's best friend. So her father died, which is also Winthrop's father. Um, so Uncle Maddie, all the pickle little ladies um, look down on Mary and they think that she's smutty, whatever. Uh, because the, you know, he gave River City the library building, but he left all the books to her. So anyway, so there's that. There's the the school board members who are who don't get along. There's uh the mayor's daughter and uh Tommy Gillis that you know he doesn't want together. All these like chaos, whatever. Right, he's and, supposed to be like in a he's supposed to be a ne'er do well or something. Although he seems. Like a pretty nice guy. Yeah, he seems like a pretty good, pretty good kid. But anyway, um, but yeah, so there's all these things. And I guess like what, the kids don't have anything to do all summer. So like he brought the band there. So I'm I'm just stating all the things like, you know, okay, he did all these things to make the town better. But like, right. Was it worth him conning the whole town? Well, no, okay, so, so that, I mean, so that's, that leads me to basically the question I was going to ask you about, well, there's two questions about the ending, but I'll get to this one first since it's relevant. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And I guess, I guess, uh, we can say spoilers. We're going to talk about the ending of the movie. I don't know how much there is a spoil, but anyway, it's the music man. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> if you, if you like musicals, you want to check this out, I believe it is available on I think it's Apple TV is actually where it's streaming. Yeah. But you can rent it on most of the major platforms. We rented it on Apple TV. You can rent it on Redbox, Amazon. And I'm sure there's probably a DVD, a Blu-ray. I didn't check, but Mm -hmm. I assume there is. All right. So yeah, the ending of the movie, what do you think the the moral of the story is? Given that Professor Hill, which is not his real name, by the way, it's Gregory. We find that out because the other guy tells him, you know, who knew him before. Given that he is essentially redeemed on the strength of the fact that he did, like some of the things that he did had good residual effects, even though he had no actual good intentions. Right. What do we take away from that? What does the movie mean? I mean, 
Well, there could be a few, but then it's also like if one of these was the the moral of the story or something that was important, then they didn't really do a good job of like showing what could go wrong if you did. Anyway, I mean, like honesty is key. Like if I, like when he's honest, Marion still cared about him. Like even though she knew what he was talking, like what he was doing. I don't know. So honestly, sure, he essentially the came best. clean. He came clean, but then also maybe like, don't judge a book by its cover with the town. Like there, there's more to them than just being stubborn. It's just, it's weird. Cause it's like, he, like you're saying like he was slimy. He, he lied to all of them, but then it's like, they forgot all of that when they saw the band playing. So it's like their kids were important to them, but I'm sorry. Like, isn't like trust and like, isn't trust more important? Isn't honesty important? Isn't that like you're literally teaching your children this lesson that it's okay to lie to a town as long as you deliver with a crappy band. I don't know. <laughs> it, it's just funny. Cause it's like literally he was lying and all the kids saw that even Winthrop said like you're, yeah, and they recognized that they were keen enough to know what was going on. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, he was like, yes, I'm a liar. Like, yes, whatever. And then it's like, okay, like, I guess they forgive him. So are they learning? Are the kids learning? Oh, I can lie to people, but then I can like, I can say that I did that and then I'll be instantly forgiven. Are there no consequences to this? That's just it. There's basically no consequence. Yeah. Because he, he is, so part of his redemption, quote unquote, is he's willing to be caught for his crimes right. in order to stay with her and not run. So he evidences some loyalty then to, you know, to her. Barely though. Barely. Barely. And then he doesn't suffer any consequences because the kids come in and I think the movie knows something about human nature in this instance because and I thought this was actually probably the best way this could have gone that the kids don't play well yeah. and that the parents are absolutely just fawning over them regardless. <laughs> yeah, that so that's accurate, yeah. I think. But no, essentially then he just gets to lead his fantasy band. So then I want to ask about this. What do you make of the ending? Because we get that moment yeah. where they, you get a, a jump cut that's where they, they get these new uniforms and then they're marching down the street in the reality of the movie, did that happen? Mm-hmm. Are we seeing something that is purely a imagined? And if it's only imagined, in whose mind? Is it a shared delusion? Is it only one of the characters that thinks this is happening? I mean, I think it would be uh, Harold Hill's delusion. Like, maybe he's locked up in jail and he's thinking that. See, that's, that's something that crossed my mind. Yeah. Do you remember us talking about that's kind of like the ending of Brazil almost. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought that would be almost too deliciously dark for that, that yeah. he would, would then imagine the thing that he actually never wanted because he only wanted to get out of there. Uh, and then, you know, to make that, I don't know, that would be, that'd be interesting. I don't think the movie has that on its mind, but it's, it's kind of a, a fun. What to keep alternate. him in jail or like, well, it's almost a fan theory that we could say, Oh, well, you know what? He got arrested. And then everything after that was just his like imagination. But I, I don't yeah. know if that tracks. But I mean, funny. I don't know if it was just the ending on the movie being like, Oh, bright colors. And we're just going to throw in a band. Thing. I mean, that's right. what it was. I'm pretty sure. Well, cause that's just, that's the, that's the, how you want to go out on, on a musical like that. Yeah. 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 Of course. 
I mean, what did, what did you think the moral of the story was? Did you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think, I think the movie kind of shortcuts its own moral framework in order to kind of have its cake and eat it. Because mm-hmm. it, it, the the path that they're, the, the, in terms of the characters, the path that they take from him being a scoundrel and kind of having a redemptive moment and then her eventually falling for him. That's all so prefabricated. Mm-hmm. It's obvious from step one, right. just like a, like a rom-com, you know, they're going to get together. There's not really any. So I don't think they even really bother to do a lot of the work that gets us there. They just assume we're going to follow that track and it's something that it, it's there to hang all these numbers on. So I, I don't even think any, I don't know that any work was really done in terms of the, like the moral or psychological underpinning of that at all. It's just, well, so I wrote this down when I when I was when they were barging out there, and I said, "Is this the dumbest ending since a court of law decided that there really is a Santa Claus in the Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street?" Oh, I, I thought. Oh, sorry, I thought you were. I thought you were referencing the year without a Santa Claus. I didn't. I don't even know if I've seen Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Well, trust me, it's dumb, and I'm going to get hate mail for this. I hope somebody please. Yeah, email me podcast at scenesformarriage.com. I'll take even your angry emails. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But but I was like, so either it's a dumb ending or it's a subjective piece of pure fantasy, a a moment that is formed only in the mind of the delusional professor as he, you know, stands condemned, caught for his deceptions. I don't believe that's what's happening. Um, But like in a musical, you've already got the line between subjectivity and reality is so thin. Nobody's pretending that you know, what you're watching is anything but constructed. Mm-hmm. And it, it's even emphasized a few times when they do like the stage lighting to kind of remind you, oh yeah, this is something that came from a play. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think obviously the, there's nothing really to take from the love story unless it's a love conquers all. It Forgiveness just, is unconditional. That or, It bothered me how, how much she was in love at the end. Like, she it like because it wasn't believable. I know a lot of things in movies aren't believable, but like, come on, like she was she was madly in love, and I didn't I didn't like how they jumped from hating to absolutely loving without any you know. Eh. And here's my issue because I again I get it's escapist fantasy. It's a you know so there I, I make a lot of concessions for based on the genre that it is, but. You can obviously have big musicals like that that nevertheless take their dramatic content seriously. Mm-hmm. Because, and you can see that in movies like Sound of Music, in movies like West Side Story, where you have real love stories and real dramatic pieces. So maybe this wasn't what they were trying to do. Eh, I mean, give me something. Give me something a little more than this, I think. Yeah. But do you have an investment in this because you were in the play? Is this one of your favorite musicals and what are maybe what are some of your favorite movie musicals? And I think I have an appreciation for this. Yes, because I was in the play, but also because growing up, we used to go to the uh, Rally Memorial Auditorium. I think that's what it is. Um, and we would go to the student preview night and we would get to watch plays for like 10 bucks. Um, and so I got to see a lot of plays and I appreciate them. But I mean, some of my favorite ones. Well, I. I haven't seen the sound of music, but that oh, and I guess would Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I would count that absolutely. Yes, that one. I mean, that might be my favorite. But um, if we're talking about plays, then 
Fiddler on the Roof, My Fair Lady, um, Guys and Dolls. Actually, Chelsea was in Guys and Dolls at Window Elementary. Huh. Yep. So, wow. Yeah, that was another. Have you seen Guys and Dolls? Hmm, maybe we should watch it. It's fun. It's like about gambling. I haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof either. You haven't? Oh, that's a good one. And then <laughs> Grease. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that wouldn't be one of my favorite ones. But hey, but that's one that you got to watch. Wow, we've watched a lot of musicals that you haven't seen. Can't believe you don't love musicals. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I like some, but I am very I can be very critical of film adaptations of musicals, especially. Why is that? I think I think it's partly because I really do love the experience of seeing a good musical in a theater. Like, yeah. like from performed by, you know, a, not a cinema, but a theater performed by a live cast. Mm-hmm. There's a real, there can be a real infectiousness and a joy to that. And it's something that I never really expected until I started going to them in college. And mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of blown away by some of them. One of the things I always ask myself when I'm watching a movie musical is, what does this do to make a case for itself as a film? Mm-hmm. You know, is it, is it just that they wanted to, did they have a, did they have a commercial reason like, oh, more people were going to come to this that wouldn't come to Broadway. More people are going to be able to see it. We can make money doing it, you know, versus do they have a, like an artistic reason to bring a particular thing to a screen and do they do the work to make it transcend that medium. So I'm always looking at these things in a way of saying, okay, are they presenting this in a way that takes advantage of the medium of film? One we talked about recently, and not a musical, but a play that did this extraordinarily well was The Father, where Mm. they really came in and just used the techniques of editing and set design to... I mean, granted, you have set design in, in plays as well, but in, in, the, in this medium, to really make a case for it as, okay, we're, we're doing something in a, with, a, with the cinematic form here. Uh, and some musicals do this a lot better than others. My overall impression of this was that it doesn't really do that very well. There's only, because you, again, you've got this period-appropriate cinemascope, this wide frame And only in those certain cases do they even bother to fill it, let alone fill it interestingly. I was watching that uh, the song Gary Indiana, which is a two a two piece between uh, between Preston and Kelton, and it's basically just the two of them. You know, you're watching it. You're saying when we watched when we watched the movie, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, you've got this entire frame, but what are you doing? All of the characters are just in the center Mm -hmm. and there's like nothing going on in the edges. There's not really any attempt to create a kind of a composition, to create tension, to create, to balance this in any particular way. So I just, I think this perhaps somewhat unexperienced film director hadn't really figured out how to make use of the frame. Furthermore, I found the editing to be kind of jumpy in places where Mm -hmm. you jump from one thing to like just a slightly different angle on that thing. And it almost doesn't look like it was intended to be a new shot. It's like they wanted to make it one shot, but they had just had to cut it like in the Wells Fargo scene when all of a sudden you've got, so first of all, this is kind of interesting. You get the entire line of people and that's a long take where they go through the whole thing. That's kind of interesting in that. But then when Ronnie Howard comes out, he comes out from like the people's knees, you get not any kind of a different angle on that, but just like a slightly lower, it's just like, boop, you know, it's just like, it's almost like the film jumps and then you have him come out 
I feel like that, that stuff is a little bit sloppy. And on a production like this, I would hope to see some more deliberate choices made. So that that is an issue for me in terms of the, you know, kind of again, making a case for this as a as a movie. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I like that you can appreciate things like that when I don't I don't see that. I just see the the dancing and the colors and the Oh, and I was trying not to be too critical because I know that I can get all academic and inside my head about it. Mm-hmm. But I think if the movie was if it was diverting me in terms of what's on the surface, if the, you know, if the performances and the characters and all of that stuff was really gripping, then I wouldn't be complaining about the odd editing choice. I mean, it, it does make a difference being in the theater watching. Have we seen any place? To, I mean, actually, we saw one with Caroline and Scott, didn't we? Was that the murder in two acts or whatever it was? Yeah, that was cool. But was that the only one we seen? That was seen? fun. Together, maybe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Guess we need to work on that. Show our uh, vaccination cards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we can get into our rating. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, let's see. What are we going to use? I mean, the obvious trombones or should we? Maybe we could do. I just didn't know if there's something we could use as a rating skill. Like that would be better than the obvious choice, 76. What I mean, comes behind? What comes behind? Yeah, 76 trombones, lead the big parade, the big and then what comes close behind? 110 cornets. Cornets? Cornets. Well, that's pretty good. I'd rather do trombones. You want to do trombones? Or should we do Balzacs? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone wondering, that's the name of an author. That it's is the B-A-L-Z-A-C. name of an author. B-A-L-Z-A-C. In case you're wondering what we're saying. I've never read anything by them, but okay. Grecian urns. Grecian. <gasps> Let's do Grecian urns. Okay. From Eulalie McCagnation's dance number. One Grecian urn. Okay, yeah, we'll do Grecian urns. Uh, okay, we're going to start with you. How many Grecian urns would you give the music man? I'm going back and forth on this, but I think I'll give it three out of five Grecian urns. Wow. Because even though I have a lot of criticisms, I think it's too long. I think it's too stagey. I think the acting is more performative and not really film acting in a lot of places. I nevertheless found the numbers that were good to be really good. And mm-hmm. in an, and in a very interesting way that was kind of unique for the period, like I said, like the train scene. And so it, it definitely entertained me, especially up front. The first hour is better than the second hour. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you, if you were to cut 30 to 40 minutes out of this, you'd have a better thing. But uh, I give it props for what it does well. So I'll give it three out of five Grecian urns nice. for the music man. That's good. Amanda, what would you say? I feel like I would have given it more Grecian urns back in the day. I think it's just because I was more irritated that uh, Harold Hill like manipulated his way into Marion's life. And maybe that hits harder being a woman mm-hmm. now. But... I think I'm I'm still I'm gonna have to give it four Grecian urns. But that's it's mostly the connection for me, the nostalgia. But I just are they have a lot of really good songs. It's pretty catchy, it's enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, things might Respectable. move pretty quickly towards the end, but it's 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 funny, it's enjoyable. Now that you've had a chance to rewatch it being older, do you what would you watch it again anytime soon? 
I feel like this is the kind of movie that some people are really fans of and they'll just watch it kind of over and over again. I'm not saying that, but I don't think I would after watching it this time. I enjoyed it. That's why I was like, should I give it less Grecian urns? Um, but I, I think I'm good for many years now. I think I'm good. I mean, I'll probably be singing those songs in my head for a while, but I don't think I could sit through. How long did you say it was? Two and a half hours? Yes. Yeah, it's too long. I could I could watch several episodes of like Never Have I Ever. And, you sure could. You yeah. watched like half a season in that amount of time. I sure did. <laughs> Woo, so good. Um, speaking of which, speaking of which, let's now move on to the nightstand. A little time for us to be able to talk about anything else that we've been watching or reading that may not get an episode. Amanda, what's on your nightstand? Well, it's funny that you ask because it's happening right now. Uh, Bachelor in Paradise. So this isn't like a suggestion for anyone to watch it. However, maybe it is. Um, <laughs> it's going on right now. I'll just catch up later. But I've been watching. Okay, I can't say like I've been watching because I've only watched one episode of Bachelor in Paradise. But I'm I'm just going to say that it is so much better than watching The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Like so much Either better. Either one. Okay. Yeah, because there's more guys, there's more girls. And also I like that it doesn't feel scripted, doesn't feel as scripted because like how can you possibly do that with so many people? I mean, they can <laughs> because of movies. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what? I mean, yeah. Anyway, I just feel like there's a lot more drama and it's good trashy TV. Well, I saw a little bit of it and I, I'd say it is that. Trashy. It is. I mean, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I'm watching it now, but I do like it better than The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Hey, even my patients, my like 80 plus year old patients say that they, okay, a few of them watch it and they said they like it better than The Bachelor and Bachelorette. So I think that's really funny that they watch it. A few ladies watch it. Well, that's, that's got to be some kind of endorsement. Yeah, right. They're into the ladies it. are watching it. Yeah. Uh, so what's on your nightstand? I actually haven't got into a lot else besides what we've been talking about, but I guess I will mention the Christopher Guest Cinematic Universe. We both caught up with Best in Show from 2000, which is oh, uh, that was so good. kind of a mockumentary about a dog show. This was by the same crew that did earlier Waiting for Guffman and later, I believe, A Mighty Wind. Did a number of these. Christopher Guest also famously, uh, this is Spinal Tap and some of the same guys in there, Michael McKean. So this one I think was not as funny as Waiting for Guffman, but it's still it's still worth watching. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of really good, really likable performers in there. Jane Lynch and Michael Higgins Clark as the flamboyant gay man. Uh, oh, yes. Michael McKean is, is with him. And of course, I mean Catherine O'Hara. Anything she's in except for Shit's Creek, I pretty much ah, like. <laughs> you're gonna get hate now. <laughs> I'm, hate. I'm, I'm trying hard. I'm trying to say something that will tick somebody <laughs> off enough that they will enough that they will uh, email me about. Email it. me at uh, Tyler at Vintage and <laughs> <laughs> at Jordan Penley. <laughs> yeah, I really haven't been watching a whole lot of other, of other stuff. I was gonna. I I didn't want to get into the. Suicide Squad Cinematic Universe. So I'm let that slide uh, yeah. later. No, really the best in show was a good one to watch. Like, you know, when you have those Friday nights or whatever nights that you're like, ah, 
let's just watch a movie. And you're like, what should we watch? And then you spend like 30 minutes to an hour, like picking out what you want to watch. Right. That was, that was definitely a good one. Uh, and I didn't feel like, oh, I just wasted my life. Fred Willard, God rest him, got most of the laughs oh. in the back half as the announcer at the dog show. So good. Love that guy. He's so funny, man. Just that alone. So good. Mm-hmm. I guess that about wraps it up. I guess it does because, Amanda, you've got about 20 minutes left of Bachelor in Paradise if you want to catch up. Actually, that's not true because it's like from 8 to 10. Oh, well, then you're doing just fine. I was afraid I'd... I was afraid I ruined your night. Yeah, but I missed like 40 minutes of it. What even happens? It's probably like the same thing ever and ever. Well, all I can say is the week that I watched the end of an episode with you, the preview that they showed at the end of it was basically the same preview that I had seen uh, prior to that episode. So I can assume not much of consequence happened. You're right. You're right. Okay. You probably haven't missed that much. Okay, I'll go turn it on after this. Wait, is anybody doing, I don't want to plug anybody else's podcast while I'm on my podcast, but is anyone doing Bachelor in Paradise as a recap? I really want the podcast to do it. I don't know if they do it or not, but what? You didn't take my hint there, did you? Oh, like we should do it? No, 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 no. I was saying I don't try not not to plug anyone else's podcast on my podcast. Oh, oops, I did it. It's fine. Podcast, we like you. We like the podcast. Amanda's a friend of the show, so. I'm a friend of the show. I'm not a, a B-Fots. Is that what they say? Best friend of the show. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Fots. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That popped up on our budget. <laughs> it did. Just like they said it would, too. Which was, they, they really did. They, and it's they funny because it you actually heard it when I was listening to it out loud. That was quite uh, entertaining. Yeah, it's funny. It came up as... So the, the software that we use tries to figure out what category things are in when they hit. And it, it came up as gym. So it, <laughs> it thinks that you're working out when really you're just listening to a podcast. If only they knew. <laughs> I'm working out my jaw while laughing. Does that count? A little bit. Well, okay. there's a few calories burned from that. It does. It makes me happy. All right. Well, all right. thank you all so much for listening. Again, Thanks we really so appreciate much. it. And like, once again, you can find us on Instagram hit us up, slide into those DMs. We're at Scenes from a Marriage and then podcast at scenesfromamarriage.com. Feel free to leave us any feedback, suggestions, and hate mail. Hate mail. Send that. I'm kidding. We just we just want to hear from you guys, please. We're not begging. We're just, it's just a suggestion, you know, if you, if you feel like it. Prim is begging. Nah, she's sleeping right now. She good. All right. Well, um, All right, back to back to paradise. Back back to paradise. <laughs>